0: Let us pray together. Father God, we thank you with all our hearts for this time that you give us together to come before you. Father, you are our Heavenly Father. You are our Lord. You are our God, and there is no other to whom we bow down. There is no other whom we worship. There is no other that we serve or obey. And I just pray, my Father, that your Holy Spirit would be with us now as we open your Word and that you would teach us, Father, and and that you would give me your message with clarity to deliver it and to give it to your people and let it be useful, Father, primarily to fathers but beyond fathers to all of us. We exalt you, Lord. We give ourselves to you. We... Give ourselves to you now, that you would speak through my lips, in Jesus' holy name, Father. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. And as I um, said earlier, uh, I do want to wish uh, all fathers uh, a magnificent uh, Father's Day. Today is your day. I mean, I think every day should be your day, but uh, but today in particular, uh, today in particular, we want to wish you a very happy Father's Day. We celebrate you this morning. One of the things that we are doing uh, new, if you are interested, if you look at the last page of your bulletins. Uh, there is, we have begun to create a space there for you to take notes. Uh, and the reason for that is some of you already take notes, because I see people taking notes. And if you rather take notes on your phone or your tablet, that's fine as well. But it has come to our attention, someone has said, uh, how much more they get the Word when they take notes. And uh, how easier it is for them to follow. So we decided to create the last page. After all, we had a few blank uh, pages in in the bulletin, and so we're giving you that opportunity. If that is your choice, uh, to take notes of the of the different points of the sermon. And, and even if the Lord speaks to you throughout the sermon, if He speaks to you something that I haven't said, that's still from the Lord. Just just keep it and and do with it as, as as the Lord commands, okay? So again, we uh, celebrate all you fathers, and uh, no, you're not going to escape the Bible jeopardy, uh, just like we did uh, for the mothers and the women. At the end of the service, we're going to have uh, some uh, wonderful questions, and we will see how many of our fathers uh, are keen on the Word and we've got five presents to the five fathers uh, who answer correctly uh, the, the questions as we ask them. Uh, but uh, and, and of course, afterwards, we have a time of fellowship, and some food has been prepared for everyone, and we pray that you will stay a little longer and celebrate with us and, and just celebrate all all fathers. As I was uh, preparing uh, my sermon for today, or my message uh, to everybody and, and to the fathers in particular, uh, the thought came to my mind that becoming a man is easy. You don't have much to do. You're just born into it, right? Uh, it's purely, um, purely genders, and and you're you're just become, and you're you're a man. Um, and I thought also that becoming a father is very easy, too. It's just a, a matter of, uh, uh, you know, just a matter of you-know-what. Uh, but you can become a father real, real easy. But I, I was thinking that being a father is hard. Becoming a man is easy, becoming a, a father is easy, but, um, but being uh, a father is, is not easy it's it's hard and i've never met a father i've never met a father that will tell you that he's never made mistakes it's it's hard becoming a father but then i i was thinking that becoming a father admired by the father which is the title of my sermon becoming a father admired by the father is it's almost impossible, and it requires a whole lot of intentionality, and it requires a whole lot of focus, and it requires uh, having your priorities clear and orderly. And it's not just having your priorities, because everybody wants to be a great father. Every every man that I've met uh, would say they want to be a great father, but having an intention is not enough. You got to execute it. You have to execute it. You have to be, you have to, to be a, a father, a great father, and you have to work at it. You, you, it just doesn't happen automatically. Being a great father and a father that God the Father can look upon and say, ah, there is my son. It, it requires work. It, it requires intentionality. It requires focus. It requires for us to, um, to, to, to work at it being a a man or a father admired by the Father. And so, a a while back, the Lord had given me the Scripture that I was to preach from for Father's Day. And it may surprise you guys, uh, the Scripture that that the Lord had given me and had me thinking about for a while is actually from the book of Job. From the book of Job. And uh, I'll just read to you the first five verses. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, five hundred female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job, Job did regularly. Now, it's kind of strange, perhaps, that I would take my my scripture for today from Job, whenever you or I think of the book of Job, this is not what we think about, is it? Whenever we think of the book of Job, we think of suffering. We think of a man who suffered, perhaps unjustly, for for many years in his life, who suffered greatly, who was in pain greatly, and sometimes we can even relate more to his suffering than anything else. And I've preached plenty of funeral sermons of people who have suffered like Job and eventually have gone to be with the Lord. Whenever we think of Job, we think of a man who was struck severely to the point that his whole body was covered uh, with boils, and they would ooze out, and to the point that his flesh would kind of putrefy, and, and even his friends would say, it smells, the smell is terrible." And that's what we think when we think of the book of Job. We think of three friends, well-intentioned, but badly being friends. Their, Their conversation with Job was to call him a sinner, and to say to him, this would not be happening to you if you had in some way sinned, so repent and turn to the Lord. And Job would argue that, no, I haven't done anything. I mean, if it was that simple, I would be very happy. I would say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, and he's willing to confess anything, but he doesn't know what to confess. He says he is innocent of whatever it is that he's being charged of. And his friends just keep at it through the whole book. Three well-intentioned friends, but who did not execute friendship very, very well. When we think of the book of Job, uh, we think uh, of, of a man who, uh, who, after suffering, God reversed uh, his condition and rewarded him and multiplied everything he had lost, and, and God was with him. When we think of the book of Job, we think of a man who wants to argue with God and even at times say, I want to take God to heavenly court— I want to take him to court. I want to take him for him to judge why this is happening to me. This is wrong. This is incorrect. And God is doing this to me or at least allowing this to me. And this is wrong. I want to take you before court. God, kill me. Send me death. Because if you killed me in all this suffering, at least I would be at rest. But you won't even send me death. You're just making me go every day through this suffering and get stones and get potsherds to, to scratch my skin and make things worse. When we think of the book of, of Job, we think of this type of thing. And, and we are correct because that is what the book of Job is. It is a book to teach us about suffering and about trusting God. And, and Job is an example of all these things. Even when we scream out and cry out, God, you are being unfair to me. Or you don't understand why things happen. And, and you feel you have to blame somebody. And who better than than God? And, and that's fine. I mean, God can take it. But when we think of the book of Job, we think of these things. We hardly ever think of the passage that I just read, which is prior to all the things that he went through. The description of Job is who he was before all these things started happening. And I want to specifically talk to you about three things in the first five verses of of this book. I want us to talk about or to see the relationship between Job and God. I want us to, number two, look at the character of Job. And number three, I want you to look with me at how Job took care of his family. First, his walk with God, his relationship to God, Second, his character. And number three, I want us to talk about how he took care of his family. And I chose the sermon title that I chose A Father Admired by the Father, because I find that God admires Job tremendously. You see, when you start reading the book of Job, it begins with the spotlight placed on earth. But then as you continue reading the first chapter and even the second chapter, the next scene is in heaven. And in that scene, God has ordered all of the angels and archangels says, the sons of God, they all have to come before the throne room of God, and they all have to give an account to God of what they have been doing. And among them is one of these angels whom we know as the Satan. The Satan. Even the Satan, or Satan, the devil, has to come before God in the book of Job and offer an account of what he has been doing and observing on earth. So God calls the assembly, and all these angels and all these servants of God who are at the beckon of God, they come. And he says, God says to the Satan, where have you been, and what have you done? And he says, well, I've gone through all of the earth, and I keep going through the earth and observing all these things. And you know, there's evil down there, and things are happening. And God says, yes, but have you seen my servant Job? And he actually says this. He says, then the Lord, in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Then the Lord said to the Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? You see, God is so proud of this one man. God has his eyes on him, and God admires Job to the point that he makes him the example. And he says to the Satan, you may have seen all kinds of men, but have you seen this man? Have you seen this man? I'm so proud of this man. And the Satan goes to God, and he basically says, It is so easy to love you when you provide everything that he ever needs. Look, you've given him 500 cattle of this, and 300 camels of that, and five this, and you've given him seven sons, three daughters. He's the greatest of all the men in the East. Of course, he's going to love you. What do you think? Take away from him, and let's see if he loves you. Because loving you is because of what you do for people. They don't love you naturally. And God says, no, there are individuals that can love me simply because they recognize who I am and they love me, even if I gave them nothing. And the Satan says, ha, let me test it, would you? And God says, okay, go ahead and test uh, my servant Job. And so the Satan starts messing with Job's life, And and in one day, he kills all his sons. He kills his daughters. He burns his houses, destroys the camels. Everything that he had in one day, completely, it is destroyed, to the point that Job and his wife are basically desolated, and, and they are in pain and and, and, and Job says, naked I came into the world, and naked I will leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord who gives and who takes away. Kind of those are my words. Then the scene goes back up to heaven one more time, after the Satan has had his way with Job's family. And, and God once again says, uh, what have you been doing And the Satan says, well, I've been doing this and I've been doing that. And God once again repeats and says, then the Lord said to the Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him, without cause and the satan says to god of course he's going to love you you hurt everybody else but you didn't hurt him the moment you hurt him in his flesh he's going to start cursing you sure you took away from him stuff sure you took away other people sure you took away and you hurt other people but you didn't touch him you didn't let me touch him If you let me touch him where it hurts, he will curse you. And God says, No, go ahead, touch him. Touch him, and you'll see the quality of this man and this father. And the Satan goes out, and of course, he begins to mess with with Job's health, and he gives him an illness that is a terrible illness, and at night he can't sleep because he's in pain no matter which side he lays down, and during the day he is restless. And, and, I mean, the description of what Job goes through is just a sad and terrible description of what can happen to this man. But I called this sermon a father admired by the father because it seems that God admires Job tremendously and sets him as an example, not only to the Satan, but I think as an example to all fathers and to all men. But this goes beyond gender. This is an application that you all can, can take as women as well. But there are three things that I want to look at with you about Job. First of all, I want us to deal with Job's relationship with God. Because the first five verses, it tells us three things about Job. One is that he feared God. Two is that he shunned evil. And three is that he worshiped God. And and I think that is worth for us to stop and look at about this man. First of all, it is said that Job fears God. You know, in one side of your mind, fear of God may look like terror, the kind of terror that you don't want to experience. And on the other side is a fear of the Lord, which most people just don't even have a fear of the Lord anymore. You know, it's it's like if God hit us a few times over the head, then we'll start fearing Him. But since He doesn't, it seems that we sin, and there's no repercussion at times, so it's like God is asleep somewhere. At least one of the Psalms seems to speak about that. But I think fear of the Lord is somewhere in the middle. Fear of the Lord comes from a tremendous respect and acknowledgement of who God is. You cannot think of who God is and have a right knowledge of God without having an awesome respect and even a healthy fear that you are dealing with the creator of the universe. You're not dealing with just muck over there. You're not dealing with your neighbor. You're not dealing with some uh, unnecessary being. You are dealing with the Lord of the universe, the creator of it all, the judge of it all, and the ultimate one that will make the decision with all things and when you consider god for who he truly is almighty and the judge of the universe though merciful and and love and gracious and all of those things you need to come to a tremendous awe of him that leads you to what I would call a healthy respect and a healthy fear of God that you don't want to disappoint Him, you don't want to hurt Him, and you certainly don't want to turn God against you. You certainly don't. That would be the worst decision that any one of us can make. And one of the things about Job is that Job had a healthy fear of God. I believe, when I consider the fear of God in Job, I believe that his heart was in awe of God. That he recognized who God was to him. That he recognized that God was the creator of all things. And he lived with that attitude toward God. That careful steps not to overstep the boundaries of what was right before God. Not sinning impugnally against God. Not offending the character, the name, the glory of God. I believe Job lived with that in his heart. I also believe that he, in his mind, had a tremendous respect of God and obeyed God in everything he could. His heart was set to obey God according to God's revelation of himself and according to the Word. I think Job had every intention in his mind to be obedient to what God was revealing to him. And I think the proper fear of God is that Job lived in submission to God. Job did not forget God day in or day out. It seems that Job had a daily relationship with God. His walk with God was solid. He had a proper fear of the Lord. The second thing that it says is that he shunned evil. He rejected evil. And the the thing about evil is you need to recognize evil. If you don't recognize evil, then you don't know what to shun. The reason that Job shunned evil is because he knew good. When you know good, when you know the goodness of God, You know that any and everything that goes against that goodness is evil. No question about it. Nobody has to explain it to you. When you know the goodness of God, you understand the badness of evil. And he had decided he wasn't going to play the game that sometimes we play between good and evil. And when nobody's watching, we venture into that dark place. Job was clear that he was always under the eyesight of God and that he knew evil because he knew good and he shunned it, he rejected it, he avoided it, and if he ever sinned, he confessed it. He confessed it and he made sure that he was always walking with God in the honesty of the possibility of a human being he shone evil. He rejected it. He pushed it as far from his life as he possibly could. And thirdly, I think he worshiped God. And and it's so clear in chapter one, it says that he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings. Not only was he Walking with God in the fear of the Lord, in the submission that he had to him, shunning anything that would offend God, but he also worshipped God, and he says that every morning he would get up and offer sacrifice to the Lord. He was a worshiper. One of the things about Job is that he was a worshiper. He had it in mind constantly, and he worshipped God. The second thing about Job that I get from here is his character. And there are two words in particular that are given to us about the character of Job. One is that he was blameless, and the other one is that he was upright. When I think of being blameless, I certainly don't think of a person that was perfect. I don't think Job was perfect because I don't know that any human being can be perfect. But the one thing about Job in that he's described in his character... You see, when you speak about blameless, I think of it as who you are inside. And when you speak about being upright, I think of what you are to others. But there are synonyms in reality. They both speak to the same character or the same condition. But when you are blameless... What it says to me, and, and another word for blameless, it certainly is not sinlessness, but it's certainly somebody who has come to God for forgiveness. Someone who has come to God and who has sought to live righteously before the Lord. Now, if you say to me, Describe, Father Jose, what righteousness means, in simple terms, I would just say to you, being righteous is being right with God. That's all that righteousness is. It's not about doing this or doing that or not doing this or not doing that. God's righteousness is imputed upon us and we are called to be righteous, but it all comes to the same thing is to be right before God, right in the right position with God, in the right relationship with God. And if ever you fall away from that right relationship, you come right back and you ask for forgiveness and God's mercy and God's grace will again impute righteousness upon you. So we find in Job that he was blameless, that he was righteous, that he walked with God, that he sought God that he wanted to live in in accordance with God. And, And then it says that he was upright. I think upright is how people thought of him in the community. He was an upright man. He was a man that could be trusted. His word was his bond. This was a man that people respected because of how he walked. I think he was upright because he walked with God. And when you walk with God, you walk with people. When you walk in God's Word, people will trust you. And they'll say your yes is yes and your no is no. I think Job was so respected that it is said in the Scripture that he was the greatest man in the East. I think he was respected by his community. I think he was respected in the gates when he met with the people. He was an upright man. He stood straight up. He didn't have to be afraid of who was behind him. He didn't have to be afraid of the law. He didn't have to be afraid of what anybody could say about him, because he knew who he was. As a man of God, he could then be a man to the people and with the people. So, in his character, we find that Job was a blameless individual when it came to sin and when it came to who he was inside, and he was upright. But then I also said that Job was a worshiper, uh, or actually uh, that I dealt with before. Number three is that how he cared for his family, and this, this loved me tremendously, or, or this, this blessed me tremendously— Here's what the Word tells us. He has seven sons, seven sons and three daughters, okay? Each of the sons, and this is a very wealthy family, so they can afford to do this. So every day, one of the sons would throw a major party major party with a lot of food and drink and all kinds of things, and each of the sons would throw a party each of the days of the week, and he would, they would invite the daughters. Presumably they live with Job and his wife, or maybe they were married. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But they certainly don't exclude them. They invite them every morning. This family is getting together every single day. I have a family night once a week. These guys, these people had a family night every night. Okay, And these sons, each of them in turn, would go ahead and have this party. And at the cycle end, at the seventh day, Job would send to bless and sanctify his children. Now, how many of you fathers do something like that? Every week, he made sure he sent at the end of the cycle of partying, that he would go and sanctify his children. And he says that he would get up early in the morning and he would offer sacrifice just in case, in the parting, one of his sons had cursed the Lord. You see the heart of this father? Just in case one of these sons could in some way have offended my God, And their God, I'm going to sacrifice to God to ask for forgiveness, restoration, and grace toward my family. And when I think of how he took care of his family, first of all, he modeled a right relationship with God. He modeled it, and this kid could not have grown up and have their own family without having seen the kind of man that Job was. But just in case, just in case some form of sin crept in in one of the parties, he protected them by offering to God a sacrifice worthy of the Lord, where he offered sacrifice for the forgiveness of those sins that might have occurred. And thus, he protected his family spiritually. And 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 as I'm dealing with Job and I'm dealing with these three things of his walk with God and his character and how he took care of his family spiritually, the question I have for you men here today, men of God, is how are you doing in your walk with the Lord? How are you doing in your fear of the Lord? Do you ever cross the line just because somebody's not watching you? Do you ever play for the, with the possibility of sin because nobody will catch you? Do you ever let darkness walk into your home? How are you doing in your walk with the Lord daily? How are you doing in coming before God and fearing God and submitting to God every day and saying to God, Lord, I will shun evil because I've known your goodness. I've tasted the goodness of the Lord and nothing else will equal. How are you doing in your walk? Are you blaming your wife that you're not walking with the Lord? Are you blaming your husband that he's not a better husband, therefore you're not going to follow the Lord? How are you doing in your walk with the Lord? Would would the father admire you and say, ah, that's my daughter there. Ah, that's my kid over there. How does the father feel about your serious, conscientious walk with the Lord? Are you daily making time to be with him in worship? Are you reading His Word? Are you setting your heart to obedience? Secondly, how are you doing? How am I doing in our character? In our blamelessness? Whenever we sin, do we run immediately to the Father and recognize I have sinned against heaven and against you, Father? Forgive me, restore me, teach me, strengthen me that I may not do it again. How are we doing in our righteousness, in living lives that are righteous to the glory of God? How are we doing to being upright in the communities in which we live? What kind of an example are we in our communities? Can people say, This is a woman of God? You can trust that man. How are we doing when it comes to blamelessness and being upright? And number three, the question that came upon my heart is, how are we doing in the protection of our families in prayer? How are we doing? Are you praying for your kids every day? I don't care how old they get. Are you praying for your kids? Are you stepping in the gap between their walk with the Lord and and the Lord? Some of our kids are not necessarily walking with the Lord the same way as, as maturity. Until they mature, they may not. Are you covering your children just in case they curse the Lord? Are you covering them in prayer? Are you asking for mercy? Are you asking the Father's grace upon your kids that he would draw them unto him? Are you doing that with earnest? Are you covering your children before they go off to school? Are you covering them before they go off to work? Are you claiming the armor of God upon them? They may not know it, but the prayer of a mom and a dad is an amazing thing, and it covers a multitude of things in in our children. Job offered sacrifice every round, every week, just in case, just in case one of their children had sinned against God. He modeled walking with God, but just in case, he would do his part as a father, and they would see him. It's not that they were doing, he was doing it in secret. He would offer the sacrifice right in front of them, and he would send to them to be sanctified, to be separated. One of the biggest blessings of my life is when I learned from somebody, and I I don't remember who because it wasn't my invention, but it was something I learned from somebody many, many years ago to start praying for my daughters since they were two and three years old, to start praying for their husband. They were two and three years old, and I was praying. I was getting up in the morning to pray for their husbands. And, of course, at that time I had no idea who they were going to marry. But God knew. And I would come and I would say to the Lord, bring the right man to my daughter's life. And listen, my sons-in-law are not perfect. I've never been perfect. But God has blessed me with two men of God that are trying to be everything they can as a, be as a father and as a man and, and as a son to Molly and me. And now I've begun to pray for my grandchildren, husband or wife. I began to pray every day that God would one day, in His mercy, in His grace, will bring into their lives that man, that woman, that will be His chosen individual to bring blessing upon their lives. And I want to invite you you who have little ones or you who have grandchildren, that you be praying for your little ones, that you be praying now, don't wait until they come and say, Mom, Dad, this is my boyfriend. Too late. (laughs) Too late. God is going to work it out that if the wrong guy comes into their lives, he's going to cause them to wake up and say goodbye. But the right person with the right heart that may come into their lives. Are you protecting your families? Are you praying for your husband? Are you praying for your wife on a daily basis? Do you lay hands on your wife and say, Lord, bless my wife, and do it intentionally? Don't just assume that she knows you're praying in the car driving to work. Do it right there in front of her before she walks out the door or you walk out the door. And just pray God's blessings upon your home and upon your relationship and upon your marriage and upon your family. And let God reign upon you. And you can see what God has for you. And if you're not married... Listen, pray that God will do the right thing with you as well. He's in charge of it all. He's in charge of it all. Fathers, here in the church today, how are you doing in your walk with God? How are you doing in your character? And how are you doing in your protection and your care of your family? Let me close with with this, and then I have uh, something else for you. But, listen, if if you have had a father or have a father, like what is being described by Job, if you have had a father or have a father like this, please, please celebrate that. Celebrate that. If you have a father or have had a father like this that has blessed your life so much, celebrate him. And if he's alive, for God's sake, don't let this day go by without you celebrating and loving him and thanking him because being a father is not easy. But if you have had a father that has not been all that he should have been, and you carry in you a great deal of pain, and many of us do, I want to say to you that you have a father in heaven that will never give up on you, that is proud of you, and a father that you can still model your life after, even if your earthly father is not worth modeling after. You have a Father in heaven that still wants you to break the chain and break the cord over what could have been and never was and what can be and can be because of God in your life. We need to be mirrors. You men, you men, every single one of you, we need to be mirrors of who God is in this world. People should look at us who call ourselves sons of God, Christian men and women, and they need to be able to say, that is a man that God is proud of. Just like he did with Job. Each one of us, we need to mirror the goodness of God, the mercies of God, the character of God. We need to do that. And today Father's Day, I want to challenge every man here to consider whether God is proud of you and whether God would say to the Satan, "Have you considered my son and you fill in the blank, a man of integrity, a man of righteous, a man who walks with me? Have you considered this man, a father admired by the Father?" Are you that man?